The first scripture reading today comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. Listen now for God's word to us. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred years will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. The gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. I invite you to listen once again for the word of the Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, They have taken the Lord, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been around Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head 
and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will go and take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think it's fair to say that most of us think we experience the world objectively. We think we see the world the way that it really is. We believe that our experiences shape our beliefs. That if something bad happens to us, the world is bad. Or if something good happens to us, the world is good. Seeing is believing, as the saying goes. We tend not to believe that our beliefs shape our experiences. That the way we see the world can change how we experience it. That would not be objective, we think, because we would be seeing and interpreting the world through the biased lens of our beliefs. But what if our beliefs actually can inform the world we see? What if our beliefs, in fact, shape our experiences and the meaning we draw from them? What if believing is seeing? Have you ever seen someone out of context and you didn't recognize them at first? I play tennis with a certain man a couple mornings a week, and he came to a wedding here at Riverside a few months back and sat in plain sight about four rows back. I didn't recognize him at all outside the context of a tennis court wearing his coat and tie and all. And after the wedding, I went up to him and shook his hand as though he was a complete stranger. I think something similar happens to Mary on Easter morning when she encounters Jesus and supposes him to be the gardener. He's not in disguise. He's just out of context. Mary thinks he's dead, after all. She's come to the tomb and found it empty. Peter and the beloved disciple have come and gone, and now Mary is standing at the tomb, weeping, deep in grief. 
two angels appear at the tomb and ask Mary why she's weeping. And Mary tells them, they've taken the Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. Assuming she has an objective view of reality, Mary believes that Jesus' body has been stolen or hidden. And even the sight of angels does not alter the agony of Mary's present experience. The world is a bad place, she must think. Not only has her friend Jesus been killed, but now his body has been stolen from its tomb. Nothing is going right. So it's no wonder that Mary doesn't recognize Jesus when he appears behind her and repeats the angel's question, why are you weeping? Mary turns and sees him, but John tells us she did not know that it was Jesus. Thinking he's the gardener, Mary asks the risen Christ if he is the one who has taken Jesus' body away. In her despair, Mary does not have an objective view of reality. And would any of us? After all, she's becoming the first person ever to glimpse an all-new reality, the reality of the resurrection. It takes some getting used to. The psychologist Lee Ross coined the term the fundamental attribution error which is the illusion of objectivity. It's the idea that my perception is the way that things really are. And to the extent that other people see things differently, the onus lies with them to account for that difference. They should explain why they see things differently. We assume there must be something wrong with them. They must be misinformed. On a recent episode of the podcast, Hidden Brain, this comic illustration was offered of the illusion of objectivity. Consider a couple arguing about the thermostat. One says it's too cold, and the other says it's too hot. And though one eventually accommodates the other, the one who allows the other to choose the temperature still sits uncomfortably in the room, stewing to themselves, thinking that the room is actually boiling hot or freezing cold, and there must be something wrong with their spouse. The comedian George Carlin asked, do you ever notice when you're driving that anyone driving slower than you is an idiot and anyone driving faster than you is a maniac? <laughs> the point is that our reality is shaped by our point of view. The way we see the world is shaped by the beliefs we hold about the world. And we rely on our beliefs to fill in ambiguity in our lives, to navigate the mysteries we face in this world. Our beliefs about the world inform our experiences more than we think. Now, if our beliefs were objective, then surely wealthy people would see the world as more abundant than impoverished people. But studies have shown that people who are rich are not more likely to see the world as abundant than people who are poor. What's more, people who live in high crime zip codes are not more likely to see the world as a dangerous place than people who live in low crime zip codes. 
again, our beliefs about the world more than facts and figures about the world are what interpret our realities. If our beliefs about the world are negative, then we'll see the world accordingly. Some of us think, I'm not good at things, or nothing good ever happens to me, or I am not lovable. We may think such beliefs are objective assessments of our realities, when in fact, these negative beliefs shape our understanding, our perception of our reality. Another psychologist, Jer Clifton, set out with his team to identify as many foundational human beliefs about the world as possible. And they studied philosophical and religious texts from all around the world dating back thousands of years. They identified the 840 most commonly used adjectives in the English language. They reviewed 80,000 tweets and other such things. And their study yielded three general alternative categories of belief about reality, which they call primal world beliefs. The first is the belief that the world is a safe place versus a dangerous place. The second is the belief that the world is enticing versus dull. That is, the world is full of interesting and beautiful and funny things, or it's full of dull, ugly, and boring things. And the third is the belief that the world is alive versus mechanistic. To believe that the world is alive is to believe that the world is infused with intention and purpose, that the world interacts with you. And Clifton observed that if you tend to see the world as safe, you likely also see the world as enticing and alive. The three primal world beliefs, in other words, tend to go hand in hand. The overarching idea is simply this. We either tend to believe that the world is good or that the world is bad. And this becomes one of the most foundational questions that we will ever ask in our lives. Is the world good? The answer we give to that question likely comes from what we think is our objective perception of the reality of our lives. But things are not always what they seem. On Easter morning, Mary goes to the tomb thinking that the world is a bad place. It's a murderous, cruel, unjust place. A place where we lose those we love to the inevitability of death. That's been her experience, after all, and it's a seemingly objective assessment, what with everything that's happened to her in the last week. And so Mary makes the fundamental attribution error when she sees Jesus. She thinks he's a gardener, and a bad guy gardener at that, one who has taken her Lord away. Friends, there will certainly be times in our lives when circumstances will try to dictate to us that the world is a bad place. We'll experience heartbreak and tragedy and anxiety. 
friendships will decay, our physical capacities will decline, and we'll lose people that we love. There will be all sorts of temptations to despair that the world is a bad place, or worse, a meaningless place. But here's the good news. Changing our beliefs can change the way in which we perceive and experience the world. We can swap out the lens through which we see the world for a better lens, a lens that will help us see the world for what it really is, a creation caught up in the surprising joy of resurrection. The risen Christ alters Mary's beliefs about her dead-in-the-tomb reality with the simple utterance of her name. Mary, he says. And just like that, she sees him, she recognizes him, and exclaims, Teacher! She hugs him with delight, her sorrow turned to joy. And I suspect that from then on, the way in which Mary saw everything was utterly transformed. You know, it's easy enough to see the world as a bad place. Perhaps we were raised that way, raised to be hypervigilant or sheltered or scared of the world. Or perhaps we were taught that life is nothing more than work, and we can never just relax and play and enjoy ourselves. Or perhaps we've grown steely and desensitized to our emotions as we've endured serious hardships in life. To address such a perception, people often talk about seeing the world with rose-colored glasses. I'm sure you've heard that phrase. And it's true that we all see the world through a certain lens. None of us is completely objective. The question is, which lens are you wearing? And do you have the courage to swap out that lens to change that lens through which you see your life. The reality of Easter should change our most foundational beliefs about the world. To be a Christian is to see the world through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Since Christ is alive, the world is a place in which our hope is rooted in a future reality that is trustworthy. Since Christ is alive, we see the world as a place where injustice is not inevitable and the status quo can be changed. Since Christ is alive, we see the world as a place where death will not have the last word. Most fundamentally, to see the world through the lens of the resurrection is to see the world as good. It's to see reality as beautiful full of possibility and promise. Jesus' resurrection demonstrates that whatever tragedies might afflict us in this world, nevertheless, God loves this world so much that God has insisted on redeeming it in and through Jesus Christ. So friends, since the idea that we see the world objectively is an illusion, and our beliefs, in fact, shape the way that we see the world. There's no reason to wait until the world gets better to change our beliefs. 
Let's change our beliefs. And then we'll be surprised at the way the world becomes more beautiful, more hopeful, more purposeful. Put on the lens of the resurrection and see the world through Mary's redeemed eyes. For just as Jesus spoke, Mary's name and his identity at last came into focus. Jesus is also speaking your name this morning. And he's offering you a whole new view of reality. So I hope you'll see him. I hope you'll trust him. And I hope you'll come to know him as the one with whom you too will be raised to new life. Alleluia and thanks be to God. Amen.